It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. It's not too late to get in on the action this season, guys. Just go to MyBookie.ag right now. You have two promo codes to choose from. You can use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit for all new users. But that one doesn't have a playthrough. Got to be honest with you guys. So if you want to avoid that playthrough, you have another choice. You can go with 200 cash. That promo code will give you a 10% straight cash bonus on top of your first deposit for all new users so two great options for you guys choose the best one for you and go win some cash put some money in that wallet but all right guys i am your host tyler and today i am back with our week six mailbag edition of the glory uj podcast and man we got a deluge of questions this week which is honestly not altogether surprising. Usually it's these kind of weeks where we have a really close win that we weren't really expecting to be a close game or, you know, we lose a game like we did, you know, all those couple hundred days ago. Those are the types of games that tend to produce the most anxiety, the most concern about the team moving forward. And it's that anxiety and that concern that seems to motivate a lot of these questions. There's not much to ask when all things are going great. We're beating everybody by 30, 40 points. But when we barely pull out a seven point victory on the road against Auburn, an Auburn team that, let's be real, isn't that good of a football team. That that's when people really start to ask the tough questions. So we got a lot of them this week, and I'm going to do my very best, guys, to get through all of them, I think, or as many as I possibly can. As is always the case, you guys know how this works. There's a, a lot of repeat questions, a lot of questions that are along the same lines, same theme, because there were clearly some obvious issues that all of us saw, and we got a lot of questions on some of those obvious issues. So anyway, a ton of questions to get to, a lot of different topics to talk about today, so I do not want to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and dive right in, and off the top, I'm going to start with what was clearly the topic that was on just about every Georgia fan's mind after that 27-20 win over Auburn in which they ran for over 200 yards against our defense. The first time, mind you, that we've given up 200 yards on the ground in almost five years. Almost five years. A week shy of five years. Going back to, I think it was October 10th, or actually October 13th maybe, 2018, on the road in Baton Rouge against LSU. So it had been a minute. It had been a minute. So when it's been that long, and all of a sudden we give up 200 yards rushing to a team, again, that's not all that that is going to generate a lot of concern and in the process will generate a lot of questions. So the first, what, I don't know, four or five questions here deal with different aspects of our rush defense. Maybe some of the rush defense deficiencies that maybe we seem to have coming out of that win over Auburn. So let's start here with a question from Jack. Always appreciate it, Jack. Jack asks, we gave up over 200 yards rushing for the first time since 2018 LSU. 
Are you concerned? Cut straight to the point, Jack. Love it. Look, I don't want to be that guy that tries to paint a rosy picture and tell you everything's fine when everything's falling apart. I don't want to be that guy. When the ship is sinking, sitting here saying, hey, everything's good. We're great. Sunshine and rainbows. I don't want to be that guy. But I also have to be honest and objective with you guys. Kirby Smart said it himself in his Monday press conference. After he watched the tape on his way back from the game, he all of a sudden didn't feel as bad about the rush defense effort as you did in the moment. And I told you guys on Monday, before Kirby even had that press conference, that was my reaction. I watched the game myself on the way back home as my wife was driving us back home to Athens. And the way I do my rewatches is I'm paying attention to either one specific position or one specific aspect of the team with each rewatch. I'm focusing on one thing. So you try to focus on everything in the same rewatch, it kind of just all bleeds together and kind of gets lost in the bigger picture. So I this first rewatch, obviously coming out of that game, leaving Auburn, like a lot of you guys, I was terrified about the rushing situation, the, the run defense. So that is what I was focusing my attention on. And in the roughly two hours and 45 minutes it took us to get from Auburn to Athens, I felt a lot better. I breathed a deep sigh of relief. Whew. Not all is lost. We are okay. Yes, there were some issues. I am not going to tell you that there were not issues. There were issues, but what I took away from that that was encouraging for me is that the issues that we had were imminently fixable. There were no issues in terms of physicality. There were no issues in terms of we just don't have the talent. There were no issues in terms of we don't have the playmakers. That's not the problem. Those problems you cannot fix. If we don't have the dudes, we don't have the dudes. You cannot fix that until you go out and recruit the dudes. That was not the case against Auburn. The issues were all fundamental based. That's really what it was. Now, you don't want that to be the, the case. You want all the fundamentals to be sound every single game, but it's not always reasonable for that to always be the case. And we're working with some new guys at key positions. You know, CJ Allen out there playing significant reps for us as a true freshman. You got Marvin Jones Jr. really getting his first extended playing time in real meaningful situations. We got some young guys out there playing big time SEC football. Now, there are also some veterans, as we said on Monday, that were doing a lot of the same things, and that's more concerning for me. But all of these things are fixable. When you can put it on tape, I always say, you know, there's nothing more beneficial for a team than to have a close call like this when you don't play well, but you still find a way to win. Because when you don't play well like that, it gets the guy's attention. The players will pay attention more in the film room. They'll focus in more. They will listen more. They buy in more that they've got to improve. When you're beating everybody by 30, 40 points, it's a harder sell to tell the guys, hey, we're still not there yet. We still got to improve. We still got better. Well, coach, we just won by 40 points. What are you talking about? Well, when you go on the road against Auburn, again, not a very good football team, and you barely get out of there alive, and you give over 20 yards rushing for the first time in five years, all of a sudden, those ears become a lot more receptive to the message you're putting out there. So as long as you win those games and you don't actually slip up, yeah, there might be some people out there that call you a fraud. You might drop a spot in the rankings here or there, but you still have all your goals laid out in front of you as long as you don't lose. And by getting the player's attention like that, what that will allow you to do is actually get better. We all know we have to improve. And this is a way for us to be able to get the player's attention and say, look, we've got to improve. Buy in. Let's go. And I think that's going to serve us well moving forward. But back to the issues at hand. The problem more than anything was eye discipline. And that's inside linebackers. I also want to throw in the safety play as well. When you are outnumbered in the box like we were against Auburn, because when the quarterback is a, is a runner, that gives them a plus one scenario. So they're going to outnumber us in the box. The safeties play a critical role with their run fits in that scenario. And I don't think our safeties did a good enough job filling. For example, on the 61-yard run that Peyton Thorne had in the first quarter, yes, C.J. Allen was late in his reads, as I said on the, on the recap episode. Yes, he was. But I've gone back and rewatched it again. 
we still should have been able to make that play, probably for like a, I don't know, a seven or eight yard gain. This would have been a nice play for them, but it would not have been a 61 yard gain if Malachi Starks had ran the alley like he was supposed to on that play. I honestly do not know what Malachi was doing on that play. He dropped back into coverage when there was not one single receiver threatening him at all. There was no receiver running a route whatsoever, but the dude's dropping back into coverage, and he's late to react, and by the time he reacts, he gets caught in the traffic, and Peyton Thorne gets by him for a 61-yard game. He should have ran the alley there and made the play. Javon Bullard also didn't really come in. Like his guy, he had a man coverage, comes in motion. He doesn't follow him. So I'm not sure what he was doing there. He should have been on that side as well, but he wasn't or closer to that side to where he would have been in position to potentially make a play, but he wasn't anywhere near close enough in position to be able to make that play. So our safety, that's just one example. There were plenty of other plays in that game where you could see similar things, but that was obviously one of the bigger plays in the game in the first half, and, and that one kind of stands out, but our safety play wasn't great either. I don't want to put it all on our inside linebackers. I don't want to put it all on the uh, on the edge players. They have culpability as well, certainly, but it was, it was a total team failure when it came to some of the run game issues, and it was, again, it was all eye discipline. It was eye discipline and focus, and look, I'm going to give Auburn credit. They had a really, really good plan, and I know you don't want to hear that right now, no one wants to give the other guy any credit. You just want to talk about how bad our team is. And I get that. I mean, we're all emotional. I understand it. I felt the same way, guys, coming out of the game. Trust me, I did. But Auburn had a really good plan, man. If you go back and watch this, I told you guys with the preview episode last week, I have watched every single game Auburn played. I watched every single one of them. And they were doing some things offensively, running some plays out of different formations that I had not seen them do one single time all year. That QB power sweep is what I kind of want to call it because you have pullers getting out in front of the quarterback like that. You know, Peyton Thorne getting the 61-yard run. and he had a, he ran that, They ran that play a couple more times, at least three or four more times later in the game. That's not a play they'd run all year long. They had not run that play all year long. And the way that they're doing with the misdirection, that's, what, that's one of the things that Hugh Freeze has always done really well with his offense. I know he's not the coordinator, but he's obviously involved with, with the offense and scheming. He's always been a master of misdirection and motion, kind of like Gus Malzahn was for a while. Malzahn, forerunners of the modern like motion game and shifts and, and window dressing, and Hugh Freeze really took that and kind of built on it, and he, they were doing some things that I had not seen Auburn do. Now, we've got to be able to adjust that, of course. That's why our coaches get paid millions and millions of dollars to be able to make those kinds of adjustments, but our players had not seen some of those things, the way that they were running, out of the formations they were running, running them from. Now, they were running some plays that I had seen them run, but out of different formations. And look, when our guys are out there, our game plan, a lot of it's based on formations. When they show a formation, our guys are thinking, okay, what plays do they run out of this formation? And when they're running plays out of a formation, they don't typically run out of that formation. That throws things off. And we've got to be able to read and react on the fly, certainly. We've got to be quicker in our reads. All that's true. All that's true. I'm not going to fight you on that. Of course that's true. We've got to get better. But I told you guys on the preview episode, I fully expected Auburn to come out swinging. They had nothing to lose in this game. They're playing with house money. I expected them to throw the kitchen sink ass. I expected them to do some things that... We had not seen them. Maybe they were saving for that game because what do they have to lose? And that's exactly what happened. So back to your original question, Jack. No, I'm not completely unbothered. There are some things we need to clean up and I need to see those be cleaned up. But I'm also not panicking right now because this right now, as of right now, is the aberration. This is the exception. This is not the rule yet. Hopefully, it does not become the rule. All right, question number two is related to Jack's question. And this question comes from Alex. I appreciate it, man. Alex asked, if Auburn was able to run for over 200 on us, what is Kentucky going to be able to do after they put up over 300 on Florida's defense? Well, Alex, I really do appreciate the question. And this, I relate back to Jack's question because this is another reason why I am not freaking out. What Auburn was able to do to us on the ground, the way that they attacked us on the ground, is not something 
that every team that we're going to play is going to be capable of doing. In fact, there's really only one team left on our regular season schedule that I think has any capability of doing anything remotely close to what Auburn was able to do in terms of how they attacked us, and that would be Ole Miss with how they use Jackson Dart in the run game. But Jackson Dart, while he is a competent runner, is not Robbie Ashford. He's honestly not even quite as athletic as Peyton Thorne. He's a tougher runner, I would say. He's a different kind of runner. But they don't really use him. They do use him in the, in the design QB run game. Don't get me wrong. They absolutely do. But they don't use him in the way that Auburn did. Guys, what we saw against Auburn was essentially option football. It was like shotgun base spread option football. That's what it was. And that's what I said on the recap episode. Another reason why I wasn't all that concerned. If you're playing Army and you give up a little over 200 yards rushing, does anyone really like blink an eye at that? No, you don't. Why? Because that's what they do. They don't, and they're not going to threaten you through the air, right? So if you give up 200 something yards rushing and you hold them to basically nothing passing, they get about 300 total yards. Well, you still win the game and whatever. It's just what happens with option offenses. It's really, really difficult to defend because number one, you don't play anyone like that. Your guys are not used to playing that way. You have to do things in a way that's very different from the way that you operate on any other Saturday out there during the fall. And then number two, they just run the ball so much that of course they're going to rack up 100 or 200 yards rushing. All ran the ball almost 45 times in that game. But there's really just no one else on our schedule outside of maybe possibly Ole Miss to some degree that can even come close to attacking us the way the Auburn because they don't have the quarterbacks to be able to do that. And Kentucky is certainly one of those teams that has no ability whatsoever to do that. Now, they are a good rushing offense. They run the ball well. Ray Davis is a really, really good running back. He is one of the reasons, guys, that I was really high on Kentucky in the preseason. Remember, I'm the guy that had Kentucky going 10-2. and two. I know that's really aggressive. It might not be more like 9-3, and three, but I fully expected Kentucky to be a really good football team. And Ray Davis was a part of that because he fit that identity. He fit that Kentucky offense. But that is why I'm not super concerned about us being able to defend the Kentucky run game. Now, it's, it's going to be a challenge. They are physical, and Ray Davis is a really good running back. I mean, this guy, not only is he powerful, not only does he have great contact bounce, he has exceptional feet in space. He's really, really difficult to corral in open space because he has, he's got this kind of one-cut ability that'll make you miss. He is exceptional at taking contact and staying on his feet. He has ridiculous vision. He is a fantastic running back, but the Kentucky run game is much more in line with the type of rushing attack that we traditionally have had great success stopping. They are going to line it up and run the ball right at you and try to out-physical you, and that is what Georgia has always done well in a Kirby Smart, to be able to stop that kind of offense. You know, I've said it often in the offseason, I don't think you really out Georgia, Georgia. Until somebody does it, I'm going to keep saying you can't out Georgia, Georgia until somebody does it. Maybe somebody will eventually, but nobody's done it yet. And what I mean when I say that is no one has been able to beat us at our game in terms of out physicaling us at the line of scrimmage and just running the ball down our throat. Now, Auburn, yes, you can say, well, they run for 200 yards. They run the ball down your throat. Auburn did not run the ball down our throat, guys. No one so far this season, I know the competition hasn't been great, but there's not one team has had really any sort of success running the ball downhill at us between the tackles. It's all been quarterback stuff, whether it's scrambles, design QB run stuff, getting the ball on the perimeter, challenging our eye discipline. No one's been able to like man up and out physical us. And that is what Kentucky's going to try to do. That is what they do. It is an entirely different rushing attack than what we saw with Auburn. There's also no quarterback run threat there, so they're not going to have that natural plus one scenario in the box. 
So you add that matchup on top of the fact, as I said earlier, I fully believe that was a wake-up call against Auburn. It's going to get our guys' attention. They're going to come out there hungry to stop Ray Davis. Not only did we get, you can say gashed, I guess, it's fair to say, against Auburn, but again, like you, like you said, Alex, Kentucky put up over 300 yards rushing against Florida. Ray Davis had 280. He had 280 himself. You know our guys are going to hear it all week long. Everyone's doubting you. No one believes you. They think the Georgia run defense is gone. They think Ray Davis is the best running back in the country. And I fully expect our defense to come out swinging against Kentucky. And I'm talking play as physical as we have seen them play all year long. Now, does that mean every issue is going to be fixed? I can't guarantee that. The eye discipline, again, I, I think it's very, very fixable, but I need to see that. Hopefully, the coaching points this week are going to be absorbed and they're going to be soaked up, but I need to see that to, to actually fully buy in. But again, I think those things are very fixable, and I am expecting a much better effort. All right, guys, we are just scratching the surface here. We have a ton more to get to. Before we move any further, I do want to quickly remind you about our friends at my bookie. Now that we're almost halfway through the season, which drives me insane to even say, but yes, here we are. You have seen all these football teams. You've seen so much college football, just like I have. And now you know who's good, who's not good. And you're more equipped to go to MyBookie and actually win some cash. So take your shot today, guys. Go to MyBookie.ag. If you're a brand new user, you have two promo codes to choose from. You can use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. And that does come with a playthrough. So if you want to avoid the playthrough, you can use the, the code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus on top of that initial deposit. And plus, guys, you know that I, I'm a I'm Mr. Parlay, right? I'm self-dubbed Mr. Parlay here. Love me a good parlay or, I don't know, four or five during the college football weekend. And my bookie is helping you out with that. If you're like me and you like to put a parlay out there and just take your shot, well, if you hit the first couple legs and you don't want to sweat that last one out, you have an option to cash out early now with my bookie and just go ahead and put that money in your pocket. So why are you waiting, guys? Why are you waiting? Go ahead. If you haven't already, got plenty of time to bet and make some cash with my bookie this season. Go to mybookie.ag, promo code UGA or promo code 200 cash so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
Alright guys, I am back, and let's continue with the run game trend here. Got a couple more questions on the run game. Gene asked, was I the only one that noticed our defensive ends crashing inside on every play and leaving the outside wide open? Gene, you are correct in that that was happening on a fairly consistent basis. And this is something I did somewhat address on the recap episode, but I want to go into more detail here because we don't have the entire game to recap, so I can dive into a little bit more here. What we were seeing more often than not, in my opinion, I am not privy to the calls, but what I was seeing our team do was something that I believe is the scrape exchange concept. And what scrape exchange is, it's a way to kind of defend the QB run, especially when they're optioning off of a, of a player on your defensive line. Typically, traditionally, the quarterback is taken by the defensive end, right? The edge player. While the inside linebacker has responsibilities for the dive, if you're playing like old school option, right? Well, one of the things that defenses did to counteract the advent and evolution of the zone read was to mix up the reads. Because what quarterbacks were doing is they were reading the backside defensive end. The backside defensive end traditionally had the quarterback, right? That was his responsibility. So if the backside end didn't play discipline and crashed on the running back, the quarterback would then pull it and he'd run around the end. He's got open space there and he's going to pick up some big yardage, right? So what defense has got smart, they said, you know what? I'm going to try to muddy up the reads for the quarterbacks. So what we're going to do from time to time is we are going to invert the reads. We're going to have the edge player, the defensive end, be responsible for the dive and have the linebacker scrape over the top, hence the name scrape exchange, scrape over the top to take the quarterback. You're exchanging duties, and now the linebacker is scraping over the top to take the quarterback. The idea is, number one, you want to muddy up the read for the quarterback and have him run right into a player that, that you've got lying there in wait. And number two, you want to get your more athletic linebackers in space with the more athletic quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every single defensive call was a scrape exchange, but it seemed like a fair amount of them were. The problem was for the inside linebackers is that they were still hesitant. They were looking at the running back first on the mesh before taking off towards the edge. Now, maybe that's what they're being coached to do. Again, I don't know. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I don't know exactly what they're being coached to do. I have a hard time believing that's exactly what they're being coached to do because if you're coached to do that, then you're going to be a step late getting out there to the perimeter to take that quarterback. So I don't believe that's what was happening. Now, again, that 61-yard touchdown run, C.J. Allen, as I said in the recap episode, he was the guy that was there. He was playing inside linebacker there, and he, you could see him. Like He looked... He, looks at the running back on the mesh, stops in his tracks dead for a second, and then quickly recovers. But by the time he recovers and says, oh my God, the quarterback, that's my responsibility. He's pulling the ball. He's a step late. And now the blockers have outflanked him and they've got him turned inside. So that's part of it. The other part of this, I think you have to understand how our edge players are coached. When we have pullers, whether it's guards, tackle centers, whatever, coming down the line in the face of our edge players, our jack linebackers, whoever, our edge players, they are coached to close, okay? It's anchor, close, scrape. That's what we do. The interior of linemen, they anchor, so they basically hold the line of scrimmage there in the interior. They don't get moved, right? And then it's the job of the edge player to close on the puller, which means blow them up. That's what that means. Just dive into it and blow them the hell up. And that creates traffic in the backfield. The fact that the defensive lineman on the interior is anchoring. He's not getting moved. Now the, the edge player has blown up the puller. There's traffic in the backfield. The running back really has nowhere to go. So he bounces outside. And you've got the linebacker who's scraping over the top to make the play. That is typically what we do. That's how it's coached. So when you see Chas Chambliss literally leap off his feet and throw his body into the pulling guard, 
That is what he's doing. He's being coached to do that. Now, my issue with Chaz and how he approaches that is he's almost too aggressive. He's almost too eager to just blow up that block. And look, I get it, guys. That's fun, and you sacrifice your body, and that's that's a good thing to do for your team, right? My contention has always been with Chaz. Yes, I know that you are coached to do that. I know that's an important part of your role, but you can also find the half medium here where you can blow the guy up and still keep your wits about you and be able to make a play in the ball carrier. You don't have to blow the guy up and just watch the ball carrier run right past you. You're also allowed to grab him. Like that's something you are allowed to do. Again, as I said on the recap episode, Nolan Smith was elite at that. He was never the pass rusher we wanted him to be at the college level, but he was an elite run defender, and that is what made the guy special. He would blow you up, but he would also make the play. And that's really what our edge defenders are not doing a great job of right now, in my opinion. But anyway, back to your original question, Gene. Yes, you are right in your observation that defensive ends, more often than not, are crashing inside, but that's a function of how they are being coached. Now, you are certainly within your rights to have an issue with that and think that maybe we should do something a little bit different, but that's how we've been doing it for years. That's not a new thing. That's how we've been defending under Kirby Smart since the guy got here and it's been very, very successful and it'll be successful again. Right now, again, I go back to it. It's, we got to clean up some minor issues. I discipline stuff. I would love for our edge players to actually realize they can make plays on the running back while they're blowing up the block. It's Those aren't mutually exclusive things, but if we can just start to correct those things, we'll be okay. We'll be fine. Now, will we correct them? I can't guarantee that, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because those are very, very fixable things. Okay, next up, I think this is a, I don't know if it's a new listener, but a first-time question asker, Kay Quinn. appreciate it, man. He asked, do we have a single linebacker playing well right now? They all look slow and disinterested. Yeah, Kay Quinn, you're not really off base here at all. Our linebackers are not playing up to their standard. They're just not. They're just not. And that's all of them, guys. I know that we have a habit of piling on Pop Dumas Johnson. I, I know that we do. I think it's fair criticism, but I know that we talk about him a lot. But he is not alone. Really, our inside linebacker room as a whole is not playing at a really high level right now. I mean, if you look at pro football focus for whatever that's worth, however much stock you put in that or don't put in it, I don't know. It's one data point. Take it for what it's worth. Not one of our linebackers has, our inside linebackers, has a PFF grade over 70 right now. That's that's not good. That's not good enough, guys. What about Georgia's inside linebacker room? There's way too much talent in that room right now for that to be the case. Now, Pop is who he is. I don't want to dive into that anymore because you guys know what how we feel about that, right? That's just that's well documented. Smile Munden is a guy that missed a significant amount of time during fall camp with an injury. He missed well, he played in the first game, but in a reduced role. And he's still working himself back into game shape and working off the rust. I think he's starting to get back to his old self, but he hasn't been what he was for large chunks of last year. I think he's in close there, but he's not quite there yet. CJ Allen's going to be really, really good, but he's young, man. He's a freshman. He's, he's done some really good things the first four games. He played his first road game against an SEC opponent that was doing a lot of things to challenge him with misdirection that he hadn't really seen before, and he didn't have his best game. Xavier Sori's done some really good things as a pass rusher. He's still learning how to play the inside linebacker position on a down-to-down basis. I think the talent there is extraordinary. I really do. I will maintain that, but Talent or not, they're not playing at a high level right now. And it's all fundamental type stuff, which, again, go back to what I said about the run game in general, the run defense in general. It gives me hope that it can be fixed, but at some point, it has to be fixed, or we're just have to conclude it's not going to be fixed. This week marks the halfway point of the regular season, guys. This is game six. We played 12 regular season games. We got to fix it, man. Time is running out. We can't just sit here and say, okay, yeah, it'll be next week. Next game will be fine. At some point, we got to fix it. I think it's fixable, but fix it. Come on, fix it. 
But yes, K. Quinn, back to your original question. You are correct. The inside linebacker play has been lackluster so far this year. It has not been up to our standard. It has to improve. If we want to win the SEC East, if we want to win the SEC title, and who knows, maybe potentially do more than that, we have got to get better play from our inside linebackers, especially in the absence of a guy like Jalen Carter. We need those guys to step it up because without a guy like Jalen Carter in the middle of your defense that can just make everything right when other guys are wrong, it magnifies the play of your inside linebackers. And right now, they're not even playing the standard that they were playing to last year. That's not okay. That has got to improve. All right, I think we got maybe yeah one more question here about the rush defense. And this is a kind of a combo question. This is from Gary and Matthew, two different guys, similar questions. Gary asks, what in the world is our problem with containing the quarterback? It didn't seem like we set up a spy and let both Auburn guys run everywhere. First time question, and I love the podcast. Thank you, Gary. Really appreciate that, man. And I know there's a lot of you out there that have been listening for a while and maybe haven't sent in questions. Feel free, guys. We have an open door policy here. Anytime we'll put out the, the call for questions after games, but you can send questions in at any time, and we will get as many of them on here as we possibly can. So thank you, Gary. Really appreciate it, man. And then Matthew has a very similar question. Why no spy on the Auburn quarterback? So yes, let's talk about that. Why no spy on the Auburn quarterback? Well, guys, we were spying the Auburn quarterback. There was one play in particular that I know in the second half where they pull it down and he runs for a first down. Uh, it was Peyton Thorne, and it looked like we didn't have a spot on the quarterback. In fact, in the game, I'm sitting there saying, what are we doing? Why are we not having a spot on this guy? We know he can't throw the football. He's going to be looking to run. And I was, I was as guilty as anyone. I was sitting there saying, what are we doing? But going back and rewatching it, it's pretty clear that, in my opinion, on that specific play, this was just one play. There are other plays as well. It was Smile Munden who was supposed to have the, the, the quarterback on that play. He was Well, we call it mirroring in our defense, but it, yeah, it's a spy. He was supposed to mirror the quarterback, but he got caught up in coverage. And again, that's one of those fundamental things like, what are you doing? And that's kind of a focus thing, really. I mean, that's not even, I guess it's an eye discipline thing, I guess, but what are you thinking in that moment? You know, at least in my opinion, based off what I've seen from our defense and, and how that defense was structured, it looked like it was smile. And Kirby alluded to after the game in the, in the post-game press conference that, yeah, you know, we were supposed to have someone on that quarterback. And yeah, it, I'm fairly certain it was smile on that play. Can't say with 100% certainty, but pretty close to it. But it's like Malachi Starks in the 61-yard run by Peyton Thorne. What are you doing? Why are you dropping into coverage when there's not one single dude running around? These are things that just make you shake your head. Like, what are you possibly doing? If it's making me shake my head, who knows? Lord knows what's doing to Kirby Smart and Glenn Schumann when they spend unknown, untold amounts of hours working with these guys and coaching them up and telling them about all these things. They go out there to the games and they just don't do it. It's, it's, it's mystifying at times why that's happening. But those are things, yes, that can be cleaned up, but also just be smarter, be better. You know better than that. Don't do those things. But if you go back and watch it, there were plenty of other times when they dropped back to pass that we did clearly have a spy on the quarterback. There were just a couple where, whatever reason, the spy just didn't do his job, got caught up in coverage, his eyes in the wrong spot. There was a play or two, I recall, where the pass rush got too far upfield and created those natural rush lanes for the quarterback. And traditionally, we were very, very good at not doing that. But I think we just kind of were undisciplined, really just across the board on defense against Auburn last weekend. We're just undisciplined, and that's really what it comes down to. I hope that we address that. We easily can address that. Will we address it? I don't know. Only time will tell. All right, for our next question, we have more of a general defense question from back to back. Thank you. Appreciate the question. He asks, how do we know this is not our defense's game? This team can't be held to the standard of, of the last two. If we haven't seen an A game five games in, it probably doesn't exist. 
I understand the sentiment behind that question. I do. It's, some, it's what I was saying earlier. At some point, here we are almost midway through the season. At some point, we kind of just are who we are. And we can't sit here and keep saying, well, you know, next week we'll get better. At some point, we just, this is, this is who we are. I do think that's a fair question. However, I don't think we're quite at that point yet. I think what you have to factor in here is that we do have a lot of new pieces on this defense. Some guys that have been around for a while but haven't played a ton. Tyke Smith is starting for the first time in our defense. We have Dalen Everett starting for the first time in our defense. Warren Brinson has played a good amount for us, but he's never been a starter, a feature player on the interior of our defensive line. He is that guy right now. Chash Tim has played the back half of last year, but he's he's the guy now at that position. Marvin Jones Jr. rotating in with him. Really his first extended meaningful playing time. CJ Allen, Xavier Sori. These guys are getting extended reps for the first time in their college careers. I mean, CJ Allen's a freshman. He's a freshman. There's a lot of newness. You have Javon Buller playing an entirely different position. Christian Miller is a redshirt freshman who did not play at all last year. It is very clearly in our two deep and playing a lot of snaps for us right now. There are a lot of new faces, a lot of guys getting more reps than they ever have in their career. And that's why I believe that there's still time for us to improve and continue to get better. Guys, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not saying that Kirby Smart's going to lead this team to national title this year, but Kirby Smart will never rest. He will continue to push and try to get this team improved week in and week out. He is not going to rest. I don't know if it'll be good enough, but the man is not going to rest. It won't be for a lack of effort. And that brings us to our next question from Michael, who asks, are we improving as a team slash unit? Are there any leaders emerging? The team just seems disjointed right now. Yeah, I think that's a fair question. I do think that we're improving, especially offensively. I know that we still have yet to really get off those fast starts that everyone wants us to get off to, including myself. I want to see that as well. But Carson Beck has gotten better game after game after game. He showed me something big time against Auburn. I love what I saw from him at South Carolina coming out of the half down 14-3. Calm, collected, poised, goes out there and leads on consecutive touchdown drives to take the lead in that game. But doing it on the road in that setting in the clutch moments late in the game in the fourth quarter, that was big time. He's improving with each and every game. I think our run game has improved, especially with Dejan Edwards getting back into the fold. I've seen improvement from guys like Ra Ra Thomas and CJ Smith. Our third down efficiency on offense has improved dramatically over the last two games. We're like almost 70% converting third downs last two games, guys. We were barely 50% the first three games. Our red zone offense has improved. I think defensively, Dalen Everett is improving. He's still not there yet. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to suggest that he is, that he's a finished product, but he's taken steps from where he was the first game or two. The first game or two, guys, was, it was kind of a repeat of Keely Ringo. It was like, the ball's in the air. Where is it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to panic. I'm going to tackle the guy. He made some plays on the ball. He actually made some big-time plays on the ball against Auburn late in that game. Peyton Woodring, definitely improving. I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I was freaking out. Had missing some of those easy kicks. And when he lined up to kick those balls against Auburn, I couldn't look, man. I could not look. I was freaking out. I was panicked, man. My heart was going 5,000 miles an hour. But the dude delivered. He's improving. He's getting better. And look, I know after a game like that, it always seems like the sky is falling. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I felt the same way coming out of that stadium. I was breathing a sigh of relief, and I felt fantastic. We found a way to win. But then you get in the car, and it hits you like, oh, my God. Like, how did we almost lose that game? Are we just not good this year? And then what do I do? I turn on the tape on the way home. And all of a sudden, I feel a lot better about the team. Auburn played a good game, guys. They had a really good plan. They played a good game. They played hard. It's a rivalry game. Really tough place to play. And you know, we've said this a million times in this podcast, and we certainly did not invent the phrase. It's an old, old cliche. 
but it's one that I think is so, so very, very true. You're never as good as you look on your best day, and you're never as bad as you look on your worst day. My dad hammered that into my head five million times as a kid. It's just seared into my brain. It's a permanent spot in my brain, and I fully, fully believe that. So don't let that moment of how you felt immediately after that game and watching that game, thinking, oh my God, Auburn is not good, and we barely got it here alive. We're just not a good football team. Don't let that cloud what's actually happening. Yeah, there are some things we have to improve. We've already detailed that. But there are also a lot of things to be excited about. There are a lot of people taking big steps. There's a lot of improvement being made. We still have to continue to improve because we are definitely not there yet. I told you guys last week on this episode, I don't think we're the best team in the country right now. We're not. Not right now. We can grow into that. We have the pieces to grow into that, but we're not there yet. But I do see strides being made right now. And if we continue on that trajectory, on that path, and we continue to get better, we can develop into that team by the time we get to December. All right, guys, that's about half of the questions. I still got quite a few more to get to. But before we go any further, I do want to quickly stop and remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. We got a home game this weekend, guys. So I know that means a lot of you will be in town this weekend. And when you come into the Classic City, the wonderful Classic City, make sure to do yourself a favor and stop in at Alumni Hall. It's just past the Coney Connector off of 316. It's super convenient coming in town if you're coming in that way, which I know a lot of you will be. It's a quick stop. They have incredible customer service. They'll have you in and out of there. You get all the best Georgia gear that you're going to find anywhere else. And they open bright and early, guys, at 8 a.m. If you're like me and you're always looking for that vintage Georgia gear with the vintage logos, old school stuff that I love so much, Alumni Hall has the best selection of vintage Georgia gear anywhere. I promise you guys, I promise you that is the case. All the stuff that you can't find anywhere, whether it's the Block G, whether it's the old standing dog logo, the dog with a flag in its mouth, the old throwback 1950s, 60s helmet, the cat bulldog, whatever you're looking for, trust me guys, when it comes to vintage gear, Alumni Hall has you covered. So make sure to stop in today or this weekend or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the bulldog shop. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's keep this thing rolling, guys. Let's go with a question from William here. Why does it always seem that Georgia fails to adjust game plans quickly, waiting till after halftime to make adjustments? It's a fair question, William. I will say, I don't know if this is a Georgia-specific thing. I think this is true of most coaching staffs because that is the time we can get the entire team together, the units. Because what you do at halftime is you break into position groups. And you can get those units together and you can correct those things more directly. A lot of times the offense coordinator, like our coordinator, is up in the booth. So he can't, he can talk to the quarterback, but he's not talking to everybody in the office. So you meet with your positions, then you come together as a unit with the offense and the defense, and you can address those things more directly. There's better communication happening at halftime. I do think that there are adjustments that are happening in the game. I, I know it just looks like when you come out at halftime and you're down against South Carolina 14-3 and now you storm back and you score two touchdowns to take the lead and it's tied at halftime against Auburn and, and yeah, you know, we formed the ball to open the second half but we come back and we play much better offensively in the second half at least put up better total yardage numbers and we score more points in the second half. It gives the impression that Oh, we just wait until halftime to make all the adjustments. We just threw our hands up in the first half and said, well, screw it, we're going to wait till halftime. And that's not really the case. Now, I think a big part of it also is that 
the team just kind of gets into a rhythm. And as the game goes along, the coaches get a better feel for how the opponent has game plan against them and how they are trying to attack them. So naturally, the further you get into the game, the more your game plan is going to evolve to counter how your opponent is attacking you. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that we did make some halftime adjustments against Auburn. We absolutely did, especially offensively. They were playing on a lot of cover two. And in the first half, we did not get the ball to Brock Bowers nearly enough. We tried a couple of times, but it just wasn't effective enough. And we finally started to attack the backside of the cover two, which I think we have one of our last questions is about today and we tried to attack the middle of the field which is one of the main weaknesses of the cover two defense when you're playing middle of the field open coverage so you're not off base there is truth to the idea that we are making more adjustments at halftime but again I think that's pretty universal I don't think that's a Georgia specific thing we are making adjustments within the first second quarter and then also in the third and fourth quarter but yeah we're, we're going to make more of our adjustments at halftime because you have more time to communicate with the players and, and kind of get that message across to everyone Okay, let's move on to our next question. I love this question. Justin's been a long-time listener and always has great questions, so appreciate it, my man. Justin asks, with five weeks down, rank our remaining opponents left at this point. Love it, Justin. I know we're a Georgia podcast, but I always, always love when we get a chance to talk a little bit more national college football every now and then. So let's talk about it here. Five weeks down, remaining opponents. Number one for me, the most difficult game left on our schedule is going to be Tennessee. I still maintain that. I do not think Tennessee is a very good team. I think that they are a good solid team. I think they're probably an eight win team at this point. I think they're going to lose to AM at home in a couple of weeks. I think they are likely to lose in Tuscaloosa. I know Alabama is still struggling offensively some, but Alabama's defense is dynamite. They are elite. They're very, very talented. And I just have a hard time believing that Tennessee's going to be able to go into Bryant Denny and win that game with how their offense has not been hitting on all cylinders. I don't think their offense really shown any signs of being able to really pick things up and improve things right now. It's a Joe Milton thing. For Tennessee, it's not, oh, a fundamental thing. It's, oh, we don't have those kind of dudes thing, which is the opposite of what it is for our defense right now. So I think Tennessee's a good team. I think they'll win probably eight games this year. But for me, it's more about the setting. That is going to be a big-time game, a big-time environment. We know Neyland Stadium is a really, really tough place to play when it's at its best. It's not always at its best, but I can guarantee you when we come rolling to town, it's going to be a 3.30 game, CBS Game of the Week, go ahead, book it. That place is going to be bonkers. And Tennessee is better than Auburn, guys. And we just saw how tough it is to win on the road in a rivalry game in a tough environment like that. Now, I do think that we'll be an improved team by the time we get to that penultimate week of the regular season, but I still maintain, because of the setting and the context of that game, that that will be the most difficult game left in our schedule. Number two, and this is a close number two. The only reason it's number two is because it's at home. This is why it's not number one. I'm going to go with the Ole Miss Rebels. Ole Miss showed me a little something on Saturday. I know they gave up about 650 themselves, but they put up 700 yards on that LSU defense. Now, LSU's defense is a problem. It's not good. Their front six is solid. Their back end is atrocious. You guys might remember the name Major Burns from a couple years back. Well, he's at LSU now. We talked about him. We did the SEC Championship preview last year. Well, that dude somehow is starting for them this year. I I do not understand why that guy is out there. He is a massive liability in coverage. He's unathletic. He's lost. He has no idea what's going on. He plays with a cowboy collar for some reason, playing safety out there. It's weird, but he's just part of the issue. He's just the most glaring issue. Their secondary is terrible, but still, Ole Miss put up 700 yards on that LSU defense. I know they did not do that to Alabama, but as we said on our pick show last week, they were not healthy. I picked Ole Miss in that game, really more of a heart overhead pick than anything. 
But if they were healthy, I think they could have beaten Alabama. Even if it was in Tuscaloosa, they were not healthy. Trey Harris, the best receiver, is out. Quinshaw Jenkins played. He was a shell of what he normally is. He was not fully healthy. He was much healthier against LSU, and he was on fire. Had a big game. Trey Harris on fire. Big gamer's receiver. When they are healthy offensively, they are as good as anybody in the SEC, and they put that on full display last week. And now defensively, I do think they have improved. I'm not going to kill them too much. You're going to 650 to LSU. That's a lot of yards. That's not good. But LSU's offense is elite. It is dynamite. It is that level good. And when Jaden Daniels is on, they are extraordinarily difficult to stop. And he was on on Saturday. In fact, I mean... At some point in the second half, I thought they're, they're going to score every time they get the football. And clearly, Lane Kiffin felt the same way. And he says much in one of the like the in-game sideline interviews that coaches apparently have to do now for some reason. Weird. Okay, whatever. I don't know how much insight that gives you, but hey, whatever. And he was basically saying, yeah, well, well we got to go for a fourth down here. We got to go for two because we're not going to be able to stop them. Now, eventually, they did get that stop, and they were able to win the game. And it was a fantastic football game. But my point is with Ole Miss, a couple of things here. Their offense is dynamic. They have, when they're healthy... They can stress you in a lot of different ways with with their traditional run game, with the quarterback run game, with screen game, vertical game, off play action. They can stress you in a lot of ways. They run with tempo. They do a lot of things with misdirection. And oh yeah, what just really hurt us against Auburn? Oh yeah, misdirection and also misdirection with quarterback run thrown in there. That is what Ole Miss can do. They're the only other team on our schedule outside of Auburn that can do anything close to what Auburn did schematically against us, be able to attack us that way with their offense. So that gives me some concern based off what I saw against Auburn. Now defensively, they are improved, but they're still not that good, and we should have a lot of success putting up points on that defense, but LSU had a lot of success putting up points on that defense too, and they still lost that game because Ole Miss's offense is that good. Now we get them at home, which is huge. I think that has a big shot to be the 3.30 CBS game of the week itself. If not, it'll, be, it'll certainly be a night game. It'll be 3.30 or night game. It's not going to be a noon game. I don't see that possibly happening. That's a team that we don't get in Athens very often. I think that they have a shot. If they can go out and they can beat Texas A&M, they have a shot to maybe potentially be in the driver's seat in the SEC West at that point, depending on what happens with Alabama. Does Alabama slip up a time or two down the stretch? Does Alabama lose at A&M this weekend? Does Alabama lose to LSU at home? All of those things are possible. So having it at home keeps it at number two, keeps it out of that number one slot. But I, I think it's a very close battle between Tennessee and Ole Miss right now. At number three, right now, I'm going to go Missouri. I think Missouri's offense is really playing at a high level right now. Luther Burden is an elite wide receiver. Theo Weiss is a really nice compliment there, as is Mookie Cooper, a really good trio of wide receivers. And Brady Cook has made me eat my words. This guy was not good last year. I will stand by what I said about him in the offseason. He wasn't good last year. He was not good. He was fine. He was okay. Not the case this year. Brady Cook has taken, not just a step, he has taken a leap this year. He is playing like one of the top three to four quarterbacks in the league right now. He's reading coverage as well. He's putting the ball in the money. He's accurate with his throws. And he is pushing the ball vertically down the field too. It's not just screen game stuff. He's pushing the ball vertically down the field in a way that he really didn't do on a consistent basis last year. The receivers certainly help him, but he is playing at a really, really high level. And their defense is good. It might not be the best defense in the SEC, but it's a top five-ish caliber defense. Now we get them at home, which I think certainly also helps us in that regard. But it's right after the floor game. I've always felt like the Ole Miss kind of the trap game because it's right there, right before we go to Tennessee. But if Ole Miss can win a couple more games, I don't think that we will overlook them. I think Missouri could potentially be a team that you, if there's a team that you overlook, maybe it's Missouri, because it's right after Florida, coming off the cocktail party, and it's heading into that 
Ole Miss-Tennessee swing. It's right there, sandwiched between those games. So that could be a, a trap game spot. I think Missouri is capable of putting up points. Now, what has given us trouble in the past defensively, outside of the Auburn game, is teams that can push the ball vertically down the field against us. They have really good receivers and a really good quarterback. And I don't know if they are quite at that level, like Ohio State level from last year, but they are very, very good. They're playing at a high level on offense right now. So I would go Missouri number three, and I would go Kentucky number four. Now, here's why I would go Kentucky number four. I'm not saying that I think Missouri is necessarily a better team than Kentucky. I know it's going to seem that way by me saying, well, I have Missouri ahead of Kentucky. I'm saying that I think that Missouri is a tougher matchup for us. Kentucky, the way that they attack us, as I said earlier in the in the show, that matchup just favors us. It's a better matchup for us. They're going to try to out-fiscal us and out-Georgia us. And again, as I said earlier, until I see someone do that, I'm not going to buy it. Someone probably will eventually. Is it going to be this week? I, I don't know. We'll find out. But we traditionally have had far more success against offenses that are built like Kentucky's offenses than we have against offenses that are built the way that Missouri's offense is built. Now, when Kentucky and Missouri line up and play each other, Kentucky could very well win that game. It's just a matchup thing when it comes to us. And football is a game of matchup. So that's why I have Missouri 3 and Kentucky 4. Coming in at number 5, I'm going to go with the Florida Gators. This team got absolutely embarrassed on the ground by Kentucky. And I know that we gave up 200 plus to Auburn and that was embarrassing enough. But what happened to Florida was just downright humiliating because they were, it wasn't a, a, a high discipline thing so much. Yeah, the run fits weren't great, but they just got flat out run over and through by the Kentucky Wildcats. I mean, Ray Davis, 280 yards rushing in that game, had over 200 a half. And that was the thing that Florida was kind of hanging their hat on. The reason they beat Tennessee is they were able to do what we were able to do to Tennessee last year. They were able to stop Tennessee's ground game with even numbers in the box. And they did that by basically just stuffing them into a suitcase and out physically them all game long. And so when I watched that happen, I said, okay, Florida, all right, well, maybe you are a little bit better on defense than I thought you would be. Well, maybe I, I said that a little too fast because it certainly didn't look that way against Kentucky. Now, I know, as I said earlier, you're not as good as you look on your best day, not as bad as you look on your, on your worst day. So the truth's probably somewhere in the middle there. But they're still not great defensively. There's still some deficiencies. Their secondary is not particularly good. They don't tackle well at all, to be honest with you. And offensively, they just don't have the horses. They don't have the dudes. They have two good running backs. Mertz has been exactly what I thought Mertz would be. He's been competent, but he's not a guy that's going to go out there and win games for you. You're not going to win games because of him. He's just going to kind of maybe keep you in games. You're going to have to find ways to win games outside of him, like with your run game, like they were able to do against Tennessee. And they really just don't have any playmakers out wide. I mean, Ricky Pearsall's a solid receiver, but that guy is your number one option receiver that's not a recipe for having an explosive offense so I got Florida at number five and then coming at number six I've got the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets I know they lost to Bowling Green last week that was weird they did I actually guys I hate to say this I don't even want to admit it out loud so a couple weeks ago we went nine and three of my picks I one of my picks was was Georgia Tech Georgia Tech plus four well not only did I bet on Georgia Tech plus four I actually put a pretty sizable bet on them to win outright against Wake Forest on the money line. And I wanted a big chunk of cash on that. And I was very excited about that. I really kind of, it was kind of one of those things like, hey, I'm excited to win this money, but I also hate myself for doing this. Like I a little bit of self-loathing involved in that. And I'd watched Tech a couple times. And they they, you know, they lost to Louisville to open the season. I think Louisville's a good team. They Tech could have beaten Louisville. And they lost to, to Ole Miss, but they, they were able to put up some points on that defense. I think they have a solid offense. They just turn the ball over like crazy against Bowling Green. But Haynes King is playing at a high level for them at quarterback for most of the season. Eric Singleton's a really explosive wide receiver they have. Trey Cooley's a good running back. Defensively, they're still not really good on defense. But offensively, that's a top 20, 25 caliber offense in the country. So 
Tech definitely over Vanderbilt right now. It pains me to say that, but that's just where they are. Vanderbilt is terrible. They're off the lines of scrimmage. So as much as it hurts my heart to do this, I'll go Tech 6, Vandy number 7. All right, next up, we got a question from Zeke. I don't know if this is a first-time question. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't remember. So if, if it is, Zeke, appreciate it, man. Welcome. Don't be a stranger. But Zeke asks, thoughts on Tate Ratledge, Micah Morris, and the offensive line as a whole? Yeah, we touched on this a little bit on the recap episode, but we'll dive into it again here. I do think that Micah Morris coming in at left guard for... Dylan Fairchild was a boost for the offense on Saturday. Dylan Fairchild was doing some really good things coming into the game. He struggled against Auburn. Just from a technical standpoint, he was off balance. His head was down. He was overextended. He was, quite frankly, doing some things I had not seen him do at any point this season. So it's weird how that happened. Maybe the road environment affected him. I don't know. But Michael Morris came in. I thought he did a really good job. In fact, I think he did a good enough job to maybe warrant getting the start this week against Kentucky. That's certain, certainly something to watch going into this weekend. Tate Ratledge, we talked about a little bit earlier in the week. He's not playing the level he was the back half of last year. And I don't know the reason for that. I can't really explain it. I think if you asked him directly, he'd tell you the same thing. It's got to get better. He's falling off blocks. He's not sustaining things. He's whiffing, to be quite honest with you, on a far too high of a rate right now. And the offensive line as a whole, I mean, it, it, it's a work in progress. It has not been up to the standard that we expected it to be. It's not been one of the two best offensive lines in the country that we thought would be coming into the year with us in Michigan. It hasn't been that way. Now, injuries have played a part in that. Youth has played a part in that. Having to move guys around the line of scrimmage, having to play trust at right tackle instead of left guard he wasn't really playing at a super high level left guard there there are some issues right now I think that we've seen some good signs and spurts but we haven't been able to put it together consistently I still think this offensive line has it in it because we saw it last year guys I've said it so many times during the season I'll say it again four of the five guys I know that Mary Smith is not playing right now he's out with injury hopefully he'll be back by Florida I'm hoping maybe Missouri but four of those five guys that were starting for us to open the season started both of the college football playoff games last year. We've seen them do it at a high level. It's still rather baffling to me why we have not been able to put it together. Maybe it's a cohesiveness issue right now with some of the guys moving around. I don't know. But across the board, it has got to get better. I think Ernest Green has shown an improvement. I think Truss has maybe played slightly better at tackling than he has at guard. Cedric has been up and down. He's done some really good things. He's also missed some key blocks at times. We just need those guys to play with a higher level of consistency. That's just the fact of the matter right now. All right, just a couple more, guys. We got a question from Glory Dog Brave. I think this is a first-time question asker, so welcome, man. Appreciate it. Uh, don't be a stranger. Glory Dog Brave asks, we need a missing persons poster for Arian Smith. If he can't block in the run screen game, can't catch deep balls, run good routes, honestly, why is he playing over CJ Smith? I, I, I do think that's a, a pretty solid question. I mean, Curtis and I have kind of alluded to that on some of the recap episodes. C.J. Smith is not as fast as Arian Smith, but he's not that far behind. He's got a bigger body. I think he has higher long-term potential, to be quite honest with you, at that position. But right now, I think it's probably fair to say Arian's at least slightly ahead of him in terms of experience. But Arian hasn't played a ton. That's the thing with Arian. We've said it many times. He missed so much time with his injuries that he has not developed. Like he's a fourth-year guy, but he's like a second-year guy in the system because he just didn't practice for so long with all those various injuries that he had. And the biggest thing that's hurting him right now, well, Ladd coming back is going to take reps away from Arian Smith. That's, that's why he didn't play that much against Auburn is Ladd is back. And Ladd is, I mean, he plays the position that Ladd does. And so when Ladd is back, Ladd's going to get the majority of those snaps, even if Ladd is not fully fully healthy and not playing all those snaps. And Rara Thomas is playing a lot more right now. So that's cutting into Arian's snaps. Because what Arian has been, not been able to do, as you say, Glory Dahl Brave, as we point out throughout the, the first part of the season, the guy can't block. 
He's a liability. There are multiple explosive plays that we had dialed up that were not explosive plays because Arian Smith did not do his job and block on the perimeter. That's a, that is a cardinal sin in a Kirby Smart offense. You cannot do that. You cannot stay on the field if that's the case. We had him have him out there early in the season by necessity because we were so banged up. But when you start getting guys back and he's not performing, he's not doing things that our receivers are expected to do, guy's not going to play. And I think C.J. Smith is a guy that can do some of those things better than Arian. It would not shock me if C.J. does play over Arian more as the season goes on. I just don't know if C.J. is going to get that much run. Because I don't know if you guys noticed, we didn't really rotate our receivers as much against Auburn in a tighter game, which I was very happy to see. We were rolling primarily with... Uh, Marcus Rosemary Jackson, Dominic Lovett, and Robert Thomas. We really didn't go much deeper than that. All right, guys, last question here today. This comes from Darren, and this is one I kind of alluded to earlier. This is a great question. This is an XO question. I love this kind of question. So thank you, Darren. Always appreciate it, buddy. Darren asks, Kirby mentioned that Beck finally looked left when the defense is in cover two. Can you further explain this? Yeah, it's a great question, Darren. What Kirby's talking about is the backside of cover two. And what we mean by backside is basically to the boundary side. So where the strength of the defense is, which isn't always to the field, but oftentimes it is, that would be the front side of, of the defense, is the front side of the cover too. And since that's where the strength of your offense is, the defense is kind of shading that way to a degree, the action's moving that way. So the backside oftentimes will be open if you look that way. And that's what we were doing with, with Brock Bowers in the fourth quarter in that game against Auburn. We were basically trying to run that front side safety off with vertical routes, and then we were running Brock on a dig route across the middle. And the cover two, again, as we said earlier, cover two, one of the weaknesses of the cover two defense is the middle of the field because you're playing a middle of the field open coverage. So the middle of the field should be open, especially if you're stressing the safeties vertically outside the hashes, which is what we were doing, at least on the front side. So when you get that front side safety occupied by the vertical route by the receiver on the front side, which on the long touchdown catch that Brock Bowers had that put us up 27-20, the size of touch down that was to the field that occupies the front side safety now Brock just has to beat that backside safety the linebacker was not able to drop underneath Brock in the middle of the field like a Tampa 2 kind of thing because we put the running back out into a route and the middle linebacker jumped on the running back and that opened up that void in the middle of the cover two Brock catches the ball and why was he able to then continue across the field for the touchdown because that front side safety had kind of been run off by that vertical route on the front side and by the time he was able to get back in the play Brock was motoring man and Brock was in full speed mode and just ran over people and got to the end zone so yeah, that's essentially what Kirby was talking about. But all right, guys, that is all I've got for you today. I try to get to as many questions as I could. If I miss some, guys, I apologize. I try to go through all that we got on Instagram, on Twitter, email, and, and throw all those in there. I'm sure I probably missed one or two. And again, some of them were overlap questions that were along the same lines as questions that I did include. So if I didn't use your name, I apologize. We try to spread the love as much as we can. But I love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being here, guys. I will be back tomorrow night to dive headfirst into this game of Kentucky, give you our Kentucky game preview. And then Charlie will be back with me at the end of the week with our week six picks of the week. So thank you for being here again, guys. Always appreciate you. I'm Tyler. And as always... Go dogs!